Hello and welcome to Filling the Sink, a podcast from Catalan News. My name's Lorcan Doherty and today we're talking about Summer Rostro. Barcelona's image today is one of a modern European city, innovative, green, a tech hub, a tourism capital, but within living memory a very different Barcelona existed, a forgotten city of barracas or shanty towns. Summer Rostro today is the name of a beach in Barceloneta, but it's a word that was lost, a place that was buried, a part of the city's history unknown to most locals, never mind blowins like myself. On this week's podcast, we're taking a look at this hidden history. We'll be talking to journalist and documentary maker Alonso Carnicer. And I'm joined by Christina Tomas White. Hi, Christina. Hey, how's it going? Not too bad. Are you surviving this heat? Uh, just barely. <laughs> Uh, Christina, you grew up here in Barcelona. Is it fair to say that this is a hidden history? Do you remember being aware that these shanty towns existed in Barcelona in the not too distant past? Um, well, also, I, I mean, it, I was born after they were raised. So obviously it's not something I would have been aware of growing up. Um, but I, I did know they existed, but I just didn't realize how many of them there were and how extensive they were. I get the feeling from reading about it that it was like, a shameful period for Barcelona and like people didn't want to talk about it but now it's like there's a bit more okay this happened this is part of our history people lived there and yeah, you know yeah no I think we are seeing more of that um, even last year here in Barcelona at the photography archive I went to go see um, an exhibit with pictures um, by this photographer Esteban Luceron uh, which was really cool because he would go into La Perona, which was one of the last shanty towns that was raised um, in the 80s, so not long before the Olympic Games. And um, he'd really gotten close to the the people who lived there, and they they really allowed him to get you know, really up close and take pictures of these intimate moments. So you, you see these shocking images of absolute poverty, but then also, you know, playing guitar and and women in flamenco dresses in the street so it, it was it was um really incredible for me to see that this was actually not even all that long ago too yeah if you go to summer rostro now like you did this week christina mm -hmm. basically you know it's very hard to imagine how it used to be in the past because yeah it's like this tourist hotspot isn't it full of, yeah mm. people lounging on the beach uh, swimming they're really fancy restaurants and nightclubs it definitely didn't used to be like that. While you were there, you asked a couple of people, had they any idea that there used to be a shanty town where they were standing? Oh, wow. No, 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 My name is Martial Delahaye. I'm from France, uh, but now living in Belgium. Uh, a shanty town. Uh, ah, yeah. I mean, no, I didn't know. I didn't know the history. Uh, nice to know. Elliot uh, from California. I just arrived uh, yesterday in Barcelona and it's my first time walking down the down the beach. I know I know very little, but I know that it's beautiful and feels really nice out here. A lot of the, the nice beaches in California used to be too, but yeah, I'd be surprised. No real surprise there that Marshall and Elliot and other people that you were speaking to weren't aware that where they were standing there used to be a shanty town. Um, a bit about the history then. Something that we were talking about on last week's podcast with Killian was the immigration that uh, Barcelona saw from other parts of Catalonia and Spain uh, in the late 19th century, earlier 20th century. So the population exploded mm -hmm. uh, because of this vast industrialization. Right, right. Barcelona was a lot more industrialized than other parts of Spain. So workers, manual laborers would come here in search of better opportunities. 
there was a severe lack of adequate housing and that's really why people set up these informal set settlements wherever they could. You know, yeah, there were jobs, but there was no housing. And we're talking places with no running water, no electricity, no real facilities or services or really any real interest from the authorities in improving the people's lives who live there. And, you know, these were dotted all around the city. Yeah, no, I mean, um, some of the main ones, aside from Somorrostra, of course, where um, El Carmel, where the bunkers are, all that area, which is now a really lovely uh, viewpoint, uh, so you can see the entire city and the sea, that used to all be shanties. A very Instagrammable spot yeah, now, watching the sunset back in over the day, Barcelona. <laughs> back in the day, it definitely wasn't. You, you wouldn't go up there unless you lived there. Um, also, Monjuic, all of the side of Monjuic was all shanties back in the day. Yeah, it's incredible. Now it's all like botanic gardens and yeah. and all this beautiful landscaping and things, you know, b- below the castle up there in Montjuic. And yeah, used to be very different. And as you said, the last ones only disappeared, what, uh, late 80s, early 90s? Yeah, a lot some of in it, 1990 even. Just before the, the Summer Olympics came to Barcelona in 1992. So uh, by the late 1960s, 100,000 people were living in shanty towns in Barcelona. That was 7% of the total population. In Somorostro specifically, by the mid-50s, it's estimated there were around 15,000 people living there and along the beach in these huts. Right. I mean, these huts began to pop up in the late 19th century, but then, then during the Civil War, a lot of people left because it was um, the site of heavy bombing. But then after the war, it just kept on getting bigger. So it was from more or less Hospital del Mar to Bogatell. So, yeah, if you know Barcelona, yeah, all along the coast there, which at the time as well would have had loads of factories yeah, behind, lots Pobano of pollution. especially. I mean, it was, it was literally used as a dump for a while. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the people moving there, they came obviously out of necessity. And a lot of people came from, for example, Andalusia in the mm-hmm, south of Spain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was also a big Romani community there. You might have heard of Carmen Amaya, perhaps. She was one of the most famous flamenco dancers who made it all the way to the White House. She was from there. She was born in Somorostro and yeah went on to star in Hollywood movies and the like um, but the living conditions as we said were were pretty awful and obviously with this shanty town in particular Somorostro being on the beach one of the other things that they had to worry about were, were the storms right right the waves sometimes would just come in and, and, and take everything with it when you went to Somorostro, Christina, you also caught up with Alonso Carnicer, who mm-hmm. is a journalist for TV3, TV3, the Catalan television station. In 2010, he made, along with Sarah Grimal, a documentary called Shanty Towns, the Forgotten City. Uh, so you spoke to him and asked first how the documentary came about. Yeah, we had been working for, for many years on subjects uh, related to the immigration that arrived in Barcelona over the 20th century, particularly in the 50s and 60s. And we became aware that housing had been a very major question for the people who arrived. And because of the accounts of people, and we saw that More and more people were saying, yes, when I arrived, I had to live in a shanty, in a hut, which were built anywhere in the city, because there was no housing. Many people had to live in shared accommodation with whole families of 12 people in one room, uh, expensive rent, 
very bad conditions because those shanties that had been built hastily anywhere could be demolished and you could be arrested, you could be uh, taken to a kind of prison and you could be deported from Barcelona. It's interesting that you say people weren't aware of how extensive it was because there were shanty towns all over Barcelona and they were quite populous. Were authorities trying to hide them or were they considered no-go zones so other residents in the city wouldn't even consider going there? I think what happened is that as uh, the city progressed and there were transformations to the city, particularly at the time of the Olympic Games, there was a a tendency to forget about the past. So here where we are in the Playa del Somorrostro, there had been an enormous area of shanties, 2,400 houses built on the sand, and there were about between 10 and 15,000 people living here. And now, of course, you come here and there's no indication of anything. Well, now there is with this plaque. But it had been forgotten. The city had wanted to forget. Perhaps even the people who had lived in the shanty somehow wanted to leave that part of the past behind. And the memory had been erased. Could you elaborate a little bit more on this process of discovery and going to the archives and finding people to give their testimony? What was that like? Often we came across the problem that they were reluctant to talk about it in front of a camera. They would tell you all of their story, but to come out and speak in front of a camera was more difficult because they had spent many years of their life somehow hiding or not wanting to say where they lived until we found uh, some people who felt that it was their duty to tell the story, that they had to tell it because they wanted everybody to know what they had been. And then came the great surprises when they told us all the details of this very, this enormous hardship that they had lived over many, many years of their lives. Some people lived for 30 years in, in a shanty, and although the conditions gradually improved, uh, still it was, it was hard. Are there any specific stories that have stayed with you over the years? Yes. Uh, another thing that we've that we've what we found was that it was not only a story of economic migrants who were coming here because the conditions in in Spain in the post-war were so hard in the countryside and in Andalusia and in other parts of Spain, but we also, without looking for it, we found that a very large number of the stories of these migrants was related to repression that they or their families had experienced in their hometowns because they were the losers of the civil war. And uh, they had been, their parents had been imprisoned because they were Reds. Then they came here and they found that they had to live in a shanty town in total squalor, very bad conditions, no water, no sanitation, no electricity. Many of them had lived better in the places where they came from originally, but they, you know, they struggled. So, of course, their stories are all stories of struggle.
I didn't realize that there weren't only economic migrants because, of course, Franco was in power all over Spain, so one would assume that they would possibly face repression here too. But uh, was it a lack of organization on the part of authorities that weren't really keeping track of who the small-town Republicans were once they left to the bigger cities? And was that making it easier for them to go unnoticed? The shanty town was a place of anonymity. It's a place where one disappeared from the official city. And it was a place which was also seen with some mistrust by the authorities because they felt that this was a place where there were many people who were not uh, with the regime. And the consequence or one of the circumstances was the creation of a police squad. Nominally it was uh, to prevent begging and street selling, but it was immediately adapted to persecute the people who lived in precarious dwellings. They arrived at any moment, they destroyed the, the huts, and there was a, a constant persecution, which is contradictory with the fact that the city was in full expansion. It was the beginning of a slow process of industrialization, so the people were arriving constantly because there was work. But, and then on the other hand, between the late 1940s and 1952, about 15,000 people were deported. They were put on trains and sent back. But before that, they'd been confined in a place in Montjuic, which is called El Palacio de las Misiones. And there they were held without any kind of control. I mean, they were just locked up. Nobody knew where they were, what was happening to them. And they could spend weeks there until somebody discovered where they were and claimed them. Spanish people deported within Spain. Yeah, it's an absolute contradiction of the system. But this is the way things were going on. How did Somorrostro and the other shanty towns come to an end? The Paseo Maritimo, which is here, was growing. It was being extended, and every time it extended, a part of the, of the shanties were knocked down. But then the people who came to the Paseo Maritimo would lean out and they would see the shanties that were still there. And this went on for years. Then in 1966, a military operation, shall we say, it was called a naval exercise, uh, was being held in Barcelona. It was important. All the major ships of the Spanish fleet came, and Franco was going to come to take part. So some, some people in the local authorities decided it was not seemly, to have these shanties on the beach because they were going to perform an exercise, a kind of Normandy beach landing on this beach. And of course, it wouldn't do for Franco to see the shanties. So they were demolished in one week. The people were taken out of the shanties. They were taken to very precarious lodgings way outside Barcelona. And that was it. <clears throat> in one week, a century of history was erased. In terms of memory, do you think more should be done? Do people know enough about what happened here? People will never know enough <laughs> about the past because we forget. Uh, the past is forgotten constantly. There was an exhibition in the Museum of City History which was an important event because for the first time the shanty towns were the subject of history.
and there was a moment when the people who had lived in the shanties went into the museum for the inauguration of this exhibition and it really felt as if it were a first act of restitution, of acknowledgement of what this part of the history of the city had been. The same happened with the documentary that after it was shown we received hundreds of comments of people who had been moved by what they had seen. They asked themselves how it was possible that they didn't know about it and they also said that they felt that it was necessary to do something to make the memory preserved in the city. A hundred thousand people were living in shanties in Barcelona in the late 1960s. That means an awful lot of people, uh, sons and grandsons, are related to this phenomenon so that something had to be done to make this visible. And I think that on the whole we can be quite satisfied that it has been done. That was Alonzo Carnicer McDermott, to give him his full name. You know, if there's an Irish connection, I'm following the thing. I'm never going to let it, <laughs> yeah, let it yeah. go. You know? You're all for the Irish takeover here. Um, thanks very much to Alonzo. Uh, really interesting documentary. Uh, watched it as well this week. And uh, I mean, the images are striking, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Barcelona parts of the city are just not recognisable. I think the ones that stood out for me are Summer Ostro itself, just all these shacks along the beach. I mean, the contrast with now is just incredible. And also uh, seeing them on Montjuic. Like yeah, just there's just so many of them. So many people live there. It's really incredible. Some of the people he spoke to, I mean, their stories are just incredible. There was one, Julia, who said about how her dad was killed by the Guardia Civil after the Civil War. Her mother was sent to jail and the kids were sent to an orphanage for six years. And when her mother got out, she was like, OK, we're moving to Barcelona. And they arrived and they got this open air tram mm. through the city. They were admiring oh, it's it. It's so beautiful. It's amazing. And then when they got to Summer Ostro and saw like the place where they were actually going to live, I think their brother had gone ahead and got this place. Uh, you know, she said her whole world just caved in, you know. Mm-hmm. No, she wasn't expecting that. But, you know, uh, it's a great documentary, isn't it? Yeah, no, and some of the stories, I mean, obviously there was a lot of hardship, but some of the stories are really funny or comical. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's one in particular that actually stayed with me. Um, it was not in Somorrostro, but near Carmel. There were these two women talking about how when they were younger, they'd go out dancing and meet boys, and you know, when they're in their young, when they're teenagers or early 20s. And... Um, how the boys would want to follow them back home and walk them home, but they were too embarrassed to to have them see where they lived. So what they would do is that they'd actually throw stones at them. <laughs> to keep Just them, to make sure they yeah, wouldn't follow yeah, them. Like, yeah. yeah. One of those people who was throwing the stones, Esperanza, it's really nice because when I was watching it, I thought, you know, this is someone who, she's angry about like mm-hmm. you know how she was brought up she's angry mm-hmm. that like there was no education yeah, that the no council didn't services, care no public services the only time they came was like to destroy her house which her dad then had to rebuild again at the weekend you know I felt very sorry for her watching it but at the end it's really nice because she says you know she gets she moves into a proper flat and mm-hmm. and uh, she says you know it's not a palace or anything, but I love it. It's and good enough for me. It's good enough for me. And I'm very happy here and I'm going to die happy now. And, you know, it's very emotional. Yeah. And, and the same with Julia as well. When she talks about moving into her flat, uh, she says, you know, I just immediately thought of my mother and how much she would have loved this yeah. little balcony yeah. with the plants and everything, you know. Um, so 
do check out the documentary yeah. happy ending it's har- hardship but hope har- hardship but hope exactly it's available for free to watch with English subtitles on uh, TV3 TV3 a la carta so you can search for Baracas La Ciudad Oblidada or the handiest thing is we'll just put a link to that in our show notes as well and it had a big impact as well. So the documentary came out in 2010. and uh, No, it, it really did. I mean, even a year later, they were actually able to lobby, um, successfully lobby local authorities to change the name of the beach back to Samorostro. So now it's known as Samorostro, but it's only been sl- slightly over 10 years. So the whole area was known as Barceloneta Beach, and now we've got Barceloneta and a whole section called Samorostro. And it kind of came, you know, it was one of the things that they were talking about at the end of the documentary that, you know, there's no signs here, there's no mm-hmm, evidence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And now there is and in 2014 they, they set it up a big commemorative plaque as well so it's had an impact and also on viewers as well yeah I mean um, I was chatting with Alonso after the, the on camera interview and he was telling me that he was um, I think it really meant it seemed to really meant a lot to him that it resonated with so many people he was telling me that viewers in Mexico and in Brazil um, had seen it and I'm like oh wow this this is kind of what we see nowadays and where we live too. And you just don't think that that was once the case in Barcelona. Alonso, he also told me about uh, high school students who saw the film and they were a bit worried, like, oh, are teenagers actually going to be able to sit through, I, I don't know, an it's hour, hour, hour and a half 15 minutes or something, of yeah. a documentary? Um, because it's, it's not the lightest of subjects and they were kind of concerned about that, but they were captivated by what they were seeing on screen. And then um, not long after, one of the students got back to him saying that thanks to this documentary, she brought it up at home and she found out that, in fact, her grandfather had lived in a shantytown, not in Barcelona, but in Tarragona, in southern Catalonia. So there's still... um, some of the oldest residents, you know, they could easily be in their 80s, 90s today, but they still have children and grandchildren who are tied to this history. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, we said this documentary, you mentioned a photography exhibition you've been to as well. So there, there seems to be more and more awareness of, of this history and, and a willingness to kind of talk about it and share about it and the, the embarrassment maybe yeah, of before yeah, has, has gone yeah. on. Slowly but surely. Um, yeah, no, and in the coming months, there's supposed to be a new documentary coming out called Somos Rostro y Voz, which is directed by the grandchild, the grandson of uh, Jacques Leonard, who is a French photographer who, who would um, go into Somorrostro quite a bit and take pictures. So um, you should be paying attention to that. It's supposed to be screened at Casa de la Barceloneta by the end of the year, hopefully. And then also, if you go to Museo de la Historia, the Barcelona History Museum in Bompasto, they have an exhibit on at the moment that's not specifically about uh, shanty towns, but it's about housing issues in Barcelona from the 1860s to even 2010. So this this is a... It's been an issue in the past and it still is an issue and it, it's pretty interesting. Okay, so that's the Barcelona History Museum in Bon Pastor for that free exhibition and that other documentary film set to be screened in Casa de la Barceloneta. Time now for our Catalan phrase. What's it this week, Cristina? Beuro tot negra. Beuro tot negra. Well, like I'm struggling to say it, but I think I know what it means, which is like to see everything black. Yeah, so, you know, to think that things are insurmountable and, and just when there's a lot of adversity. Okay, so to have like a pretty bleak outlook, which I guess people living in these shanty towns might have had at some point. Unfortunately. Yeah, but as you said earlier, hardship but hope. And it turned out well for, for some. some. 
that's us for today thanks very much for listening uh, thanks again to Alonso Carnicer and thanks to you Christina thanks for having me no podcast next week uh, we're all going to be on the beach summer August maybe summer rostro perhaps if it's not too crowded <laughs> Uh, we'll be back with our next episode then on Friday the 18th of August uh, until then for me Lorcan Doherty and all of us here at Catalan News bye for now adios